have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We are looking at Revelation chapter 1. My daughter cracked up when I said we're doing six messages. Now it's become seven. Seven messages. She said, seven messages on one chapter. I haven't had the, the, I haven't had the, uh, the boldness to tell her that today we're looking at half a verse. Half a verse, but that's all right. You'll you'll see that it's good. We live in a day of doomsday preppers, and uh, with what has happened this past week uh, with the Paris Accord, I mean, I mean, if you haven't started hoarding yet for the end of the world that's coming, uh, well, then you haven't been listening to the news, and that might be a good thing. But here's what I know. I don't know much, and I only know what I look, what I look up about doomsday prepping. But hoarding provisions is a big part of doomsday prepping. Uh, according to PrepperWebsite.com, which we kind of talked about last week, uh, the, here's some of the articles about provisions. Homemade MREs for your stockpile. Okay, I mean, MREs aren't even good when they come from the government, much less I don't even know how you can make them good homemade. Here's another one. What do you do if you're caught without your prepping supplies? Well, according to happypreppers.com, I love these web websites, happypreppers.com, one of the most popular downloads on that website is this. The 37 critical supplies to hoard before a crisis that are not food. Okay, so like what's the number one thing you need to hoard no matter what? Water, because you can only go three days. Second thing is food, right? Water and food. So once you have that, have your stockpile of those things. Here's the 37 things that you should add to that. Now, I won't read all 37. Uh, number one is pain medications, because you can't avoid pain. And what are you going to do when the pharmacies are are closed. Well, if the pharmacies are closed, I'm going to be more worried about not uh, than just not getting pain medication. There's all sorts of things I'm not going to be able to get. Baking soda, unscented bleach, borax, and laundry detergent. And then I like number five, supply to hoard, Bic lighters. A Bic lighter is truly more valuable than a generator. And it's a fire starter of choice for many famous survivalists, including Michael Hawk, who I do even know. Does anybody know who that is? Jerry knows. Okay, good, good job. So go ahead and flick your bick because Michael, he's got these things, you know, hoarded, uh, which I found that interesting. Now, as you go through these 37 things, you're talking about cotton balls, ear swabs, duct tape, cable ties, super glue, uh, freezer bags, garbage bags, hand sanitizers, Lysol, shampoo, mouthwash, soap and deodorant, toilet paper, toothbrush. Basically, bring your house. I mean, as you really read through this, I'm like... I'm just, I'm hoarding my house, but it's a crisis. I'm not going to be able to do that. What, you know, so it says run to the store. Now, I, I found this interesting. Remember, here's what they said on this list. Remember, this free list is what a prepper needs beyond beans and bullets. Okay? So once you have your beans and your bullets, you're okay. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem with that. And it must be very prevalent. And, and if you hoard, that's great. Again, all I ask is, let us have a little section. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But here's the reality. The reality is no matter how much you hoard for a natural crisis, you're never going to have enough. You're never going to have enough. You can never store up enough. 
Why? Because you and I are not an endless provider of things, okay? Much less what we really need to be prepping for is not a natural disaster as the one sure thing that's going to come on this whole earth. And what's that? The second coming of Jesus Christ. Whether you do physical prepping or not, that's your choice. But as believers in Jesus Christ, one thing we don't have a choice on is spiritual prepping for the second coming. And so here's the message or here's the idea. Spiritual preppers maximize their spiritual provisions until the big reveal. Spiritual preppers maximize their spiritual provisions until their big reveal. And we're going to give you not a list of 37 things. John gives us in the Word of God a list of three provisions that you need to not hoard as much as receive and then use in prepping for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We need to maximize these things. Now, the last apostle of Jesus Christ, the apostle John, makes clear to us, makes this clear to us in verses 4 and 5 of Revelation chapter 1. After telling us in verses 1 to 3 to check our priorities in light of his coming, in verses 4 and 5, he tells us, maximize your provisions. So let's take a read. Let's read verses 1 through 5. And like I said, I encourage you all throughout this study, just go ahead and read Revelation 1 at least one time a week. And uh, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, another reason to be reading it, and heed the things which are written in it. Why? For the time is near. Now, here's the verses for today. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you, there's the first provision, and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. We'll stop right there. There we go. Now, let's dive into this scene that, first of all, I just want to kind of give you the the literary and just the context of what we're looking at. Revelation verses 4 through 5 gives us a typical greeting in the New Testament. So, all this... Even though this is a prophecy, it's apocalyptic, it's wild, there's visions, it's still a New Testament letter, and so it has those components. So if you see in your notes, it has the writer, the addressees, the greeting, and then the senders. And the big focus is on the senders. So let's kind of move through that quickly to just kind of get us orientated to what we're reading. First of all, the writer is John, and as we said, he's the last living apostle. He's exiled on the island of Patmos. You see it there on the map that you have there in your notes. And it's, it's, it's an island. He's there as a prisoner of the, uh, and an enemy of the state of uh, uh, the empire. 
and, and in that Roman province, of, which is called Asia, which today is western Turkey. You can see that in your map. And he's there basically because he applied last week's lesson. He's there because he's checked his priorities and he's got right priorities. Because when you live by those priorities that we talked about last work, being ready last week, being ready, staying focused, bearing witness, and being obedient to the Lordship of Christ, you're going to run up against the world system. And for that reason, he is there. In fact, if, if we, he tells us that. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Here's why he was exiled. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance. You take those three words, that's the message of Revelation. It's not so much trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. It's realizing that we're in tribulation because we're a kingdom people and we need to persevere until the king comes. And he says, I'm here which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. Why, John? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. My priorities have been right, and it's landed me in tribulation. So I'm writing to you as one of you. Who's he writing to? Number two, the addressees. It's the seven churches that in Asia, and you see that they're addressed. You see the names of them there on the map. And you see that they're addressed in the order that a messenger would go from the island of Patmos. He would go in that order and he would deliver this letter to these seven churches. The western portion of what today is Turkey where a predominant number of people, the massive majority of people, are practicing Ramadan as, is, as Muslims and not as Christians. When in John's day it was covered with Christians. Number three, the greeting. Grace to you and peace. We're going to see that this is the typical greeting. If you were writing, if you were a Gentile and you were writing a letter, you would begin with these words, greeting. And in Greek, that is very similar to the word grace. And so what happens is the Christians, instead of just saying greetings, they started saying grace. Because Christ changes your life. If you were a Jew and you were starting a letter, you would start the letter with peace. Peace. Even today, if you go to Romania, the greeting among Christians is pace, which is Romanian for peace. And you just come, everybody, pace, pace, pace. You, you, you can figure that out. But the difference now, this is what the Jews did. Once they became Christians, it was not just peace. It was peace from God the Father. Yahweh, who has delivered his Messiah, sent his Messiah. It's from God the Father and his Son. So he takes these, these very traditional greetings, and because Christ changes everything, he changes how we even greet one another. Amen? Now, the senders. Here's the focus, though. Ultimately, John's writing, but ultimately the greeting is not ultimately from him. He is merely a messenger. The senders, you see in verses 4 and 5, the word from is mentioned three times. It's from, mentioned three times, God the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus. And what this is the focus. The focus is not so much on the provisions, but on the provider. 
Because here's the thing about natural hoarding, as I've already said. You can hoard as much as you want, but you don't have a never-ending provider. But what we have are spiritual provisions from the ultimate sender and provider. And here's what's cool. I can say to you, Dana, grace and peace to you. But guess what? I can't impart grace to you. And I can't make peace be a reality in your life. But when this comes from the ultimate sender, guess what? What he proclaims, he can deliver. What he promises, he can make true. Is that not cool? It's not grace and peace to you from John or from Chris or from any other human being. It's from the ultimate provider. Isn't that cool? All right. It's so cool that next week we're going to take our whole time and just look because that's the focus on this greeting. The provisions are listed very quickly. All the verse, these two verses, the vast majority of time is to understand who your provider is. And we'll do that next week. Today, I want you to learn, number one, use your provisions to the max. Use your provisions to the max in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so, um, in verse 4, this is all we're looking at today. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. That's it. That's it for today. Are you ready? Three provisions. Grace, peace, and the local church. Let's dive in. Number one, here's what you want to maximize. Maximize the grace of God. Grace to you. Yes, before John MacArthur named his ministry that, every letter. And it's a beautiful name for a ministry. The guy nailed it when he picked that name. Why? Because everything I'm about to give you is grace to you. Grace to you. You say, what does God have for me today? Grace to you. Amen? So let's look at it. Grace provides us, and as I said, this is just taking the Gentile greeting changing a few Greek letters, and instead of just saying, hey, how you doing? No, grace to you. So here's the thing I want you to know. God's grace provides us with two very necessary provisions that we need to max out until he comes. Number one, a position we don't deserve. And number two, a power we can't produce. A position we don't deserve and a power we can't produce. Let's talk about the position we don't deserve. Grace is unconditional acceptance in Christ through His cross. Grace is this. Ephesians 2, 8-9. through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, not of fasting for 30 days, like in Islam. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a gift from God, not a work by us. We don't deserve it, and we can't earn it. All you can do is say, I receive it. And so, the first thing we need to understand about grace is saving grace. It's the undeserved privilege of having your sins forgiven and and being born again as a son of God. See, too often we think of grace as forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins. And that's only half the message, folks. That's a wonderful thing, amen? 
But guess what? If it doesn't make me anything more than what I already am, then I'm missing out. It's more than that. It's a regenerated heart. It's being born again. It's having a whole new you. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. So think about it this way. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's forgiveness of sins. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting getting what you don't deserve. Okay, now here's how I think about it. I'm a simple guy. Believe it or not, here's how I think about it. When we come to God, we're a negative 10. You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, we're, in, we're not zeros. We're negative 10, right? We're in debt. And mercy means he brings us to zero. Instead of judging you for your sins, you don't get what you do deserve. But here's the good news. Now, that would be great. God doesn't see me as a negative 10. He sees me as a zero. (laughs) Oh, no. Here's what grace is. Grace says you're a 10. Check your neighbor's pulse. Just lean over, check their pulse. Maybe check their spiritual pulse. We ought to get excited about it. Do you get this? Do you get this? So here, here, here's out here. Mercy is when you do wrong, it's not getting the spanking you deserve. Okay? We're going to go get ice cream. You've been disobedient, and so you're going to get a spanking. Mercy says, I won't give you the spanking. Grace says, I not only won't give you the spanking, that's merciful, but I'm still going to take you to get ice cream even though you don't deserve it. Amen? Here's what Romans 5.2 says about this grace. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, the coming of Christ. We stand in grace. It isn't a past thing that you just get when you got saved. Okay, I got forgiven, now I'm on my own. No, you stand in grace. But grace is more, more, much more than a position. Number two, it's a power that we can't produce. And so saving grace is not only God's riches at Christ's expense, it's the power and the desire to do the will of God. Grace is both a position we don't deserve and a power we can't produce. Uh, Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12.9. 2 Corinthians 12.9. 2 Corinthians 12.9. I I, want to camp on this because so often we just think of grace in terms of forgiveness of sins, in terms of something I got when I got saved back then. But the reality is we stand in grace and we live by grace. So look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And notice what Paul says. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Now, you just said grace is sufficient. Well, what is that grace? It's the power of Christ to endure daily temptations and difficulties. Grace is a power. And so saving grace, I think I have it in your notes, saving grace is also sanctifying, or I even like to call it sufficient grace. It's sufficient grace for what I'm going through today. Do you have struggles today? Do you have temptations today? 
Are you overwhelmed? Did you fail and and sin last week like I did? Because, hey, hint, hint, we still sin. But we have the power and the ability and the possibility of saying no to sin and yes to obedience. It's the ability to become and do what God desires and has already declared us to be. So here's the here's the idea. You have this position, you're a 10, but now you have the power to live like that on the daily basis. That's God's provision to you. Are you maxing it out? Are you maxing it out? Because that's what spiritual preppers do. They take God's provisions and they max them out in order to be ready for His coming. You see, God is saying to us today, grace to you, 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 grace to you. Isn't that beautiful? The power to do what I've already made you to be, to you, that's a beautiful thing. You see, the true believer can never say, I can't. When you read God's word, it's okay to say, I can't, as long as you say, I can't, but in you, I can. I can't, but by your grace, I can. Is that what we say? But we, we, we live defeatist lives, I believe, spiritually. Man, it's not a big deal. I'm forgiven. No, you're more than forgiven. You have a position to live up to that God has given you the power to be. Don't settle for apathetic, mediocre Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's religion. Okay? And that's not what we've been called to. So, how do you max out God's grace? Here you go. Use the grace God has provided to the max. Let me just give you four ways. I mean, there's tons of ways in the Bible, but let me just give you four. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. One, humble yourself before God and others. Humble yourself before God. Not only were we saved by grace, not only do we stand in grace, but here's the good news. You can get more grace. See, this is the beauty. When you're in a physical crisis, you only have what you hoarded, and you're going to deplete it. In spiritual prepping, you can always give a never-ending supply of that which you need the most, and that is grace. But you've got to humble yourself before God and others. James 4, 6 through 10. Turn your Bibles. James chapter 4, 6 through 10. This will cover both this point and the next point. James 4, 6 through 10. Probably that and 1 Peter 5, 5 through 10, biggest passages on how to get more grace. Now, here's what James 4, 6 through 10 tells us. James 4, 6 through 10. But he gives greater, greater grace. Is that amazing? Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to who? To the humble. 
Well, how do I, what's that mean? That sound, you know, that's, you know, you know, humble, humble is one of those things that once you say you're humble, you're no longer humble. Okay. So what's this mean in real life? Well, look at verse seven. We go from learning to living in verse seven. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Why? Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will give you greater grace. It's humbling to come to God. Why? Because when we, when we come to God, we're basically saying, I can't, but you can. When we live prayerless lives, we're saying, God, I can get by without you. So humble ourselves. Now, in that verse, it tells us, number two, cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself from sin in action and thought. He says, draw near to God, but to draw near to God, you need to daily confess and ask forgiveness of sins. I just listened this week to a, a, a pastor in our area teaching his people not to confess their sins, not to ask forgiveness. That's a done deal in the past. No, no, you just cut your people off from a greater supply of grace. If you want more grace, confess your sins to God. Ask for his forgiveness. And he not only cleanses you and brings you to back from a negative 10 to a zero, he gives you grace to stop sinning. That's just an amazing thing. Cleanse your hands, the actions that we do. Purify your hearts. Oh, Lord, I haven't done anything that anybody could point out, but you know in my heart, I've got a stinking attitude. I've got a critical attitude. I've got a negative attitude. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and I know. Purify your hearts, and then dedicate your life. There is grace to get off the fence in the Christian life and be a 100% dedicated Christ follower. You know, it's sad. And, And you're here, so I'm not preaching to you, you're here. But it's sad when Christians live Sunday morning, well, will I go to church or not? That's double minded. Of course I go. That's already been settled. I'm following Jesus. So I'm going to be where God's people are. That's a done deal. Am I going to give to this week? No, that's double-minded. That's already decided. He gave everything to you. You're going to put him first in your finances. I will give. I am going to give. And on and on we could go. So many Christians are living on the fence every day. Which, which, and here is basically what we do. Which side am I going to fall off on today? Basically, which side of the bed am I going to get up on? The dedicated Christian side or the lukewarm Christian side? Hey, just... Push your bed up against the wall and get off, get up every day on the dedicated Christian side. Amen. That's the idea. If you want more great, you say, but, but Chris, I don't know if I can live it. Well, if you wait until you can live it, you'll never do it. You can live it because why? God gives what? Greater grace. Max it out. Cleanse yourself. Number three, submit yourself to those over, under, and equal to you. Uh, move over to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Here's the other great passage on how to max out God's grace. Yes, we stand in it, but we need to max it out. Look at what 1 Peter 5, 
through uh, chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to who? To the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in the proper time. Cast all your anxieties. One of the biggest reasons we resist humbling ourselves to other people is they're imperfect, they can be sinful, I'm worried, I'm anxious. And so what does he say here? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God wouldn't say submit to one another if he didn't have your best interests in mind. You say, how do I believe that? By faith through grace. Okay. So, submitting ourselves. There's tons we can say about that. But number four, give yourself. Give yourself to sharing the gospel with those who are far from God. You want more grace? Then give the gospel, the grace of the gospel to those who are far from God. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 15. Give yourself to sharing the gospel with those who are far from God. See, class, we are so inward in our Christian life. It's all about us. It's all about us. And and ultimately, God does care about us. We just saw that. But the reality is, His care for us is so that we can be caring for others. That's why we ought to be praying through Ramadan. Getting our prayer focus off of us. That's why we ought to get Operation World. So that we begin to pray about gospel grace being given to others. Look at 2 Corinthians four thirteen through 15 But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, Paul says, I believed, therefore I spoke. Whoa, believers are witnesses. Believers are speakers forth of the gospel. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Now look at verse 15. For all things are for your sakes. Who? The sake of the elect. So that the grace which is spreading more and more spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Do you want God's glory to spread around this globe? Do you want there to be more grace around this globe? Then we've got to pray it and we've got to proclaim it. And the more we pray it, the more we proclaim it, the more grace there is, the more people go from negative 10 to 10, giving God the glory and having joyful lives. Man, right? See, here's what I'm afraid of. We've lived so long on this side of the gospel, we forget what it is to be working for your salvation. We forget how hopeless that is. We forget how draining that is. We forget how condemning that is. Because if we would remember what that's like, and if we'd see people there in Mecca walking in circles, if we would go to the Buddhist countries and watch people twirling prayer twirlers, whatever they're called. 
If we would go to Mexico and see women crawling on their knees, bloodied knees, all for the desire to earn God's grace and favor, we would understand we need to give ourselves to sharing the gospel. And guess what? God's bringing those people right here to Kansas City, to our neighborhoods, to our schools. And we see uh, a head covering and we pull back instead of engaging, instead of engaging for the gospel. The grace of God, number one provision. Number two provision, the peace of God. If you'll maximize the grace of God, then you'll have more more peace from God. He says, grace to you and peace. So what is God's peace? God's peace provides us with two things. First, reconciliation with God in spite of our hostility. And number two, contentment from God in spite of our circumstances. Wow, is that not cool? Reconciliation with God in spite of our hostility towards Him. And contentment from God in spite of our circumstances. Look, as we head in to global crisis, and it's coming, you see it. You know, you would think the greatest threat to the world is our president. And yet in the past month, Western democracies have been repeatedly, war has been declared. Okay, this is coming. Well, what do we do? Well, as believers, we need to max out grace and max out peace. We don't panic. My natural inclination is to panic. Anybody can join me with this? Oh, not yet, because things aren't there yet, but they're coming. They're coming. Where is John writing from? The island of Patmos for having been a faithful Christian. That is coming. But here's the good news. That no matter what comes, we can be reconciled with God. And in Romans 5.1, it says we have peace with God through faith. We have been justified by faith and we have peace with God even though we were helpless, ungodly sinners and His enemies. Is that amazing? Is that amazing? We were doing this to God and He came and reconciled with us through the gospel. Wow. I was unable to reach Him. He came to me. I was sinning and He came to save me. I was his enemy, and he said, I want to be your friend. That's cool. But what that means is, I can have contentment. That means that no matter what's happening around me, as long as I've got peace with God, I can face a world or a life turned upside down. Amen? Your physical health might be not be what you want it to be. Your marriage may not be what you want it to be. Your status in life may not be what you want it to be. Your income, your job may not be what you want it to be. But the greatest provision you have in spite of all of that is you have been reconciled with the God of the universe and you can have contentment in those circumstances. Can I hear an amen? And here's what Jesus says. 
in John 14, 27. My peace I give to you, not like the world gives. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be fearful. Why? Because I give my peace to you. In John 16, 33, he says, In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Cool. Now, how do you max that out? Use the peace God has provided to the max. Let me give you, uh, let's see, three ways. Okay, number one, grow in the grace of God. Grow in the grace of God. The more you understand your position, let me put it this way, the more you understand your position, I stand in grace, the more you understand the power of grace, the more, what? Peace you will have. See, again, let me repeat it again. We have so often in Bible-believing churches reduced salvation to a past event. Oh, yeah, I got grace. Yes, I have peace with God. No, this is a dynamic thing. Grace to you and peace. More peace, more grace, more peace, more grace. Is that what characterizes your life, my life? I got to grow. Second Peter 3 says, grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. Every time you see grace and peace, grace always precedes peace. Always. It's never peace and grace. You can't have peace apart from grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, but if you look at 2 Peter, turn to 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, 14 through 18. Look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, which is, guess what? The second coming, what we're talking about. Since you're looking for these things, the second coming, be diligent to be found by him in what? Peace. Now, how do you do that? Drop down to verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in between that, in verses 15 through 17, he says there's two things you need to understand. There's no peace apart from sexual moral purity, and there's no peace apart from doctrinal purity. I won't read those. You can see in those verses, he says, here's how you are found in peace. So here's what I'm saying to you. Even though we have grace, even though our sins are forgiven, the true believer who is living immorally will not have peace. If you're living an immoral, secret, sinful lifestyle and you're at peace, the first thing you need to ask yourself is, am I born again? Because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, ought to be going nuts because you're taking Him into your sin. And number two, you say, well, I hope somebody around here is getting that message. I don't have that problem. Well, here's the second thing. You need to be doctrinally pure. If a true believer departs from sound doctrine, 
they should not have peace. They should not have peace. Nor should we grant peace to them. We don't grant peace to believers who are living in sin. We don't say we grant them mercy, we grant them compassion, but we say, look, repent, turn back. And we don't grant peace to believers who deny the gospel. Grow in grace of God. Number two, how do I grow in the grace of God? Grace of God. Grow in the knowledge of Christ. Grow in the knowledge of Christ. That's what he says. He says, grow, verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Because here's the simple formula. I never forget. I used to always see this driving to Branson. We take Amber on vacations, reminiscing this summer as we launch Amber into the, the, the vicious dark world of Siloam Springs. We would always see on the barn, no Christ, N-O, no peace. No Christ, K-N-O-W, no peace. It can't get any simpler than that. God bless the farmer that painted that on his barn. My peace I give you. So if you want more peace and you want more grace, then you need to know Jesus better. My peace. In me you have peace. And then number three, grow in the practice of prayer. Grow in the practice of prayer. If you want more peace, grow in the practice of prayer. Turn to Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 9. You want more peace? Grow in grace, grow in the knowledge of Christ, and grow in your prayer life. Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the what? The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things... The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the what? The God of peace will be with you. So let me give you, again, break that down. Right praying, verses 6 and 7, leads to right thinking, verse 8, leads to right living. There's a formula for peace. Right praying leads to right thinking, leads to right living. All right? So, maximize your provisions. What's the number one provision? What's the number one provision? What's the second provision? Peace. What's the third provision? The church of God. The church of God. Because here's the deal. Where does God provide grace and peace? It's in the local church. Notice it doesn't say, John, to the Christians that are staying at home. It doesn't say, John, to the guy that thinks he can worship while fishing or golfing. He doesn't say, John, to that really spiritual sounding person that is always in little, private, personal, small group Bible studies. He's saying, to the seven local churches. That's where grace is poured out. That's where peace is poured out. 
And you know what's interesting about these seven churches? I can't get into it too deeply. Every one of them was imperfect. So he doesn't say to the small church that has it all right. He doesn't say to the big church that's got it going on. He says to the churches. And they are imperfect. And yet God pours out his grace and peace on imperfect churches. And those seven imperfect churches perfectly represent all churches in all times. We can find ourselves in those seven churches. Okay? Now, what do we need to do? God's church provides us with his place to receive his provisions. The church was God's idea, and it's not going out of style until Christ comes back. You know, I, I used to, I don't do it anymore. I used to listen to uh, some talk, Christian talk radios. I definitely don't do it anymore now that the Bible Answer Man has departed from uh, the gospel of faith alone through grace alone and has reverted back to pre-Reformation stages. But I used to listen to him, listen to some other guys. And Christians call in for counseling. And I can count on maybe one finger, maybe no. I, I could be a fingerless person, thumbless person, and count the number of times that when a Christian calls in for advice, the first thing that's asked is, first of all, tell me, are you faithfully attending a local church? Two, what is your local church pastor saying? How, what counsel have you already received from your pastor, and are you following it? Three, what accountability, what small group, what context are you accountable to for this problem before you to come to me, the outside Bible answer man? Are you with me? Do you see what I'm trying to say? I'm not saying don't get outside counseling. Our family has, and we've benefited from it. Some of it's crazy. And you have to run from it. But the, I'm not saying don't go to outside counselor. I'm not saying, you know, any of that. What I'm saying, though, is the primary in the first place and the ongoing place is always where? Where do you find grace and peace? The local church. You say, but my church isn't perfect. Okay, seven churches in Asia. None of them were perfect. But what did Jesus say? Grace to you and peace in your local church. So use, second point, use the local church God has provided to the max, share his provisions with his people. So here's the idea as we wrap up. What we need to do before the second coming, to be ready for the second coming, is personally maxing out God's provision of what? And... Through our local church and receive that grace, that peace, max that grace, and then guess what? Share it with one another. You say, well, I, you know, that's, that's why I'm always looking for another church because there's always people that I don't get along with. Uh, duh, we're all sinners. So show some grace, give some peace, stay in fellowship. Amen. That's how we get ready. That's what spiritual preppers do. Regardless of your material prepping, this is not an option. 
max it out. So let me ask you, are you maxing God's provisions to be spiritually prepared for his glorious appearing? Would you mark, would you say, more importantly, mark in your heart, yes, I will seek to use my spiritual provisions to the fullest. I'm going to maximize grace this week. I'm going to humble myself when my pride bucks me up. I am going to cleanse myself of those areas where I am sinning. I'm going to submit myself to be more obedient. I'm going to give myself, I'm going to witness to one person this week. I'm going to say, God, If you don't give me someone to witness to, I'm just going to walk up to someone and start witnessing to them. You know what you'll get more of? Grace. And then you say, you know what? I'm going to pray more this week. I'm going to try praying for people I'll never see. People I'll never know. I'm going to pray for the Muslim world. I'm going to use Operation World. I'm going to pray for the O'Grady's. Even though I never go to Amsterdam, I'm going to pray. Because I know that as I pray, I will think right. And as I think right, I will live right. And I will have more peace. And then you know what? I'm going to make a commitment to be here and receive from my local church. But I'm not just going to be a sitter and a soaker. I'm going to be a giver and a server. And that way when he comes, I will be in standing in grace and I will be in peace, and I will be ready for His appearing. Amen? That's just good stuff. Let's pray. Father, uh, what a provider You are. You are the ultimate sender of good things. Grace, peace, and You will build Your church. We are grateful, Lord. We are grateful. But, Lord, we have our part to do, and that is to receive Your grace and then live by it. It's to receive your peace through Jesus and then keep imparting peace. Lord, we are here not to receive from this church only, but we are to give to one another the grace and peace that you keep giving to us. I pray that the man, the woman, the couple, the marriage, the single, the struggler, that needs this message today would receive it from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.